If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So with Beijing, the balloon incident is over. Water under the bridge? We did what we needed to do to protect our interests. We said what we needed to say and made clear what we needed to make clear in terms of this not happening again. And so uh, as long as it doesn't, that uh, that chapter should be closed. Did you get any commitment on those three wrongfully detained Americans? Uh, We have a commitment to continue to work um, hard on resolving uh, these cases, military to military. We don't have an agreement on that yet. It's something we're going to keep working. I made very clear to our Chinese counterparts the importance that we attach uh, to that, uh, something that is also profoundly in their interest because, again, We both agree that we want to, uh, at the very least, make sure that we don't inadvertently have a conflict because of miscommunication, because of uh, misunderstanding. So Xi Jinping didn't say they absolutely not. No, this is a work work in progress. We're working on it. Will the defense chiefs at least talk to each other? Well, again, to be be seen, we've made clear that we think that's important, more than important, uh, imperative. Uh, I think the Chinese understand very well, uh, because I made very clear where we're coming from on this, and we'll keep working it. On Taiwan, I reiterated the long-standing U.S. one-China policy. Uh, that policy has not changed. It's guided by the Taiwan Relations Act, the three joint communiques, the six assurances. We do not support Taiwan independence. We remain opposed to any unilateral changes to the status quo by either side. We continue to expect the peaceful resolution of cross-strait differences. In this episode of Newt's World, Secretary of State Antony Blinken visited Beijing in an effort to renew diplomatic relations with China and President Xi Jinping. But the visit is still being weighed in terms of how it will advance relations. He held talks with China's top two foreign policy officials and met with Xi Jinping on Monday.
I have to say, however, this whole thing is a charade. A couple minor things. When Blinken walks on the stage to shake hands with Xi Jinping, Xi Jinping doesn't move. He stands there, and like a supplicant, the Secretary of State walks over to him. There's a very famous story of a British ambassador to the Ottoman Empire, and they had a rule in the Ottoman Empire that you had to bow on hands and knees in front of the sultan, and the British ambassador wouldn't do it. And so finally, the Turks, in a moment of desperation, put in a door that you had to crawl through in order to get to the sultan, and the theory that this way the British ambassador would have crawled to him, at which point the British ambassador turned around and crawled in backwards, showing his rear end. The difference between the British sense of pride and willingness to stand up even to the head of the Ottoman Empire and Antony Blinken's pathetic eagerness to do whatever it takes to please the dictatorship is staggering. But then remember, Antony Blinken ran the Penn Biden Center, which was funded basically by the Chinese communist, although we don't know all the internal details because the University of Pennsylvania will not release how they've spent the more than $40 million they got from the Chinese communists. So Blinken was part of the gang. There were nine people in the Biden White House who also were part of that Penn Biden Center being funded by the Chinese. Not that any of this directly means that Biden is in cahoots with the Chinese, although it's also true that he took Hunter with him on Air Force Two, so everybody in China would be reminded that Hunter represented genuine influence and was worth giving money to. They then played this charade where Biden referred to Xi Jinping as a dictator. Xi Jinping was supposedly offended that he'd been called a dictator. They trotted out a spokesperson for the Chinese foreign ministry who was deeply offended, all of which was nonsense. Biden had actually referred to him as a dictator in the State of the Union. Xi Jinping knows he's a dictator. Xi Jinping knows that the entire system of the Chinese Communist Party, and remember, the Chinese government is a subordinate of the Chinese Communist Party. Xi Jinping's real power is as secretary general of the party, not as president of China. In a sense, he kind of reports to himself. So the notion that they are offended that we would tell the truth about what they obviously know is just goofy. Meanwhile, Biden said that Xi Jinping was probably upset because he didn't realize that there was spy material on the Chinese balloon. The spy material, by the way, is apparently the size of a school bus. Anybody who believes that a 20-story tall balloon with a school bus amount of intelligence gathering material happened to be across the U.S. and Xi Jinping didn't know it, completely misunderstands how China is operated. Because if that happened, the person who did it wouldn't be there anymore. This is a tightly controlled totalitarian dictatorship, which has grown much tighter under Xi Jinping. Meanwhile, the Chinese, of course, are working very hard to create a military base in Cuba. But the truth is, the Chinese are now in virtually every country in South America and Central America. And we ought to be looking at the totality of the Chinese influence campaign. Instead, we now are focused, and I was so reassured when Antony Blinken said, we are concerned about this and we are monitoring it. What does that mean? We're concerned they get to do it or they don't get to do it. We're monitoring it. We're monitoring the buildup of Chinese military capability 90 miles off the American coast. Well, what does monitoring mean? Presumably, we always monitor things. Now, 
At one level, people who believe in a equality of nations point out that we have troops all over the Pacific, that we have forces all around China, so it's only fair. But that misses the point of national security. This is not a game where you seek fairness. This is a system where you seek security, where you want to minimize your opponent's potential ability to hurt you, where you want to cut them off from intelligence information, where you want to minimize their alliances. And what we've done at a level of just stunning incompetence, not just the Biden administration, but the State Department, USAID, the Department of Defense, the 18 intelligence agencies that we have, We've allowed China steadily for over a decade to get stronger and stronger, bolder and bolder, and to reach out more and more. So let's start with the reality that Blinken's visit was pathetic. We keep saying to the Chinese, we would like to have a communication system much like the hotline we had with the Soviet Union. And the Chinese keep saying to us, we don't want to have a communication system. I mean, recently we saw the stunning example that neither the Minister of Defense, nor Xi Jinping, would take phone calls, respectively, from the Secretary of Defense of the United States and from the President. Now, if we're begging for a phone call and they're refusing to take the phone call, there's something profoundly wrong with how we are approaching this. And I think we have to understand that. We currently look like we're the weak country, desperate for China's affection, seeking China's approval in a way that makes no sense at all. Instead, we ought to be moving in the opposite direction. We ought to be building strength. We ought to be quite firm. We should indicate clearly that meeting with an American president or meeting with an American secretary of state is something we give you, not something you give us. And I think it tells you a lot about the relative balance psychologically of power between the Biden administration and the Xi Jinping dictatorship we look like somebody seeking a date. Won't you please go to the prom with me? I'd like you to go to the prom with me. I feel really bad you didn't go to the prom with me. This is nuts. Xi Jinping is a very tough man. He's a man who runs a billion, 300 million people with an iron fist. He's a man who has openly said we are preparing for war. He's a man who clearly wants to replace the United States as the dominant country on the planet. And a guy like that, you don't court by being weak. You don't court by trying to have smiling conversations. I thought it was very telling that when Xi Jinping came to Mar-a-Lago to visit President Trump, halfway through the dinner, President Trump said, please excuse me for a minute. I've got to go talk to the press just for a second. And he stepped out. And when he came back and he said, you know, we just fired a series of Tomahawk missiles at Syria, taking out a whole bunch of Syrian aircraft because they had crossed a red line and we were getting even. Now, what that said to Xi Jinping was, I'm having dinner with a very tough guy who is prepared to use military force and who has sort of just sent me a signal. You can't imagine Joe Biden doing that. And that's a great problem. So I want to give you a flavor of Antony Blinken representing America. He said after the meeting, I'm quoting him, during those meetings, we had a robust conversation about regional and global challenges. That includes Russia's war of aggression against Ukraine. I reiterated that we would welcome China playing a constructive role, along with other nations, to work toward a just peace based on the principles of the United Nations Charter. Let me just stop right there and point out. The Chinese currently are buying huge quantities of Russian gas and oil at a reduced price. They are totally supportive of the Russians. 
Xi Jinping has a close relationship with Putin, and the idea that somehow they're going to go back and repeat the words that we hope that they will play, quote, a constructive role. Well, their constructive role is to prop up Putin and help him defeat Ukraine. I mean, who's kidding who here? Blinken goes on to say, quote, we also spoke about North Korea's increasingly reckless actions and rhetoric. Look, the fact is, North Korea survives only because the Chinese communists tolerate it and protect it. Without Chinese economic activity, without Chinese willingness to sell food, willingness to sell energy, willingness to sell other materials, North Korea would dry up and collapse. And the fact is, the Chinese kind of like having North Korea there because they distract the United States, South Korea, and Japan. And the Chinese see North Korea as a useful tool for the purpose of keeping the Americans off balance. Blinken asserts, quote, we have an interest in encouraging the DPRK, that's North Korea, to act responsibly, to stop launching missiles, to start engaging on its nuclear program. Now, we have been saying this since I was Speaker of the House. When we first got involved in the Clinton administration, when we realized that they were developing nuclear weapons. And the North Koreans basically just keep going forward. They occasionally talk with people, and you have four power talks, six power talks, two power talks. But in the end, the North Koreans do what they're doing, which is build a nuclear capability, build missiles capable of reaching the United States, and build a sufficiently robust missile force that South Korea is contained. And the reason is pretty simple. South Korea today is a gigantically successful economy. It is enormously wealthy. North Korea is a total disaster. The most telling example is if you look at a picture at night from a satellite, you see where the 38th parallel is because north of it, it's virtually all dark. A little bit of light around Pyongyang, the capital. South of it, it's all lit up because South Korea is so prosperous and so successful one of the most striking examples in the world. And the North Koreans know that the only thing they have is military force. And they know that nobody's going to do anything too reckless because Seoul, Korea, a huge city, one of the biggest cities in the world, and a beautiful city, which Glist and I have been privileged to visit several times, it's directly within reach of the North Korean military in the opening minutes of the war. So the South Koreans don't want to start a fight. The North Koreans are defending themselves and see themselves as being basically capable of threatening the United States, Japan, and South Korea. The Chinese love it because it distracts us and requires us to keep one eye on North Korea while we're trying to keep the other eye on Taiwan and the South China Sea and the behavior of the Chinese around the world. Blinken goes on to say, and this has got to be one of the weirdest quotes, so I want you to listen carefully. This is your Secretary of State on behalf of the United States. Quote, we exchanged views on our respective economic policies, including our concerns about China's unfair treatment of U.S. companies. During my meeting today with U.S. business leaders who are operating in China, I heard about the problems that U.S. businesses are facing, including recent punitive action against American firms. I also heard that American firms want to continue and indeed grow their businesses here. And so in my meetings, I sought to clarify any misperceptions or misunderstandings about our approach. There is a profound difference for the United States and for many other countries between de-risking and decoupling. Now, I want you to think about that. He goes on to say with great pride, this again quoting Blinken, our countries traded more over the last year, in fact, more than ever over the last year, nearly $700 billion. 
healthy and robust economic engagement benefits both the United States and China. And as Secretary Yellen testified before Congress last week, it would be, as she put it, disastrous for us to decouple and stop all trade and investment with China. Close quote. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Newt. In my new book, March the Majority, The Real Story of the Republican Revolution, I offer strategies and insights for everyday citizens and for seasoned politicians. It's both a guide for political success and for winning back the majority in 2024. March the Majority outlines the 16-year campaign to write the contract with America, explains how we elected the first Republican House majority in 40 years, and how we worked with President Bill Clinton to pass major reforms including four consecutive balanced budgets. March to the Majority tells the behind-the-scenes story of how we got it done. Go to Gingrich360.com slash book and order your copy now. Order it today at Gingrich360.com slash book.
Now, you have to reject everything we know in history about supply chains, about logistics, about capabilities to believe that we should be relying on the Chinese. The Chinese openly state they're our competitor. Today, something like 93% of all base pharmaceutical material comes from China. That was not true 20 years ago. It came mostly from the United States and Japan. Today, solar panels, electric cars, the whole range of things come from China. The president of Raytheon, a major defense contractor, has said that they have over 3,000 engagements in China that are central to their productivity. The fact that we don't have a clear, decisive program to de-link all of these things and move them back to the United States to make ourselves capable of operating. If the Chinese cut off certain key selected supply chains, our military would be crippled, our hospitals would be crippled. And by the way, you'll notice that in all this talk, you don't hear Blinken talk about the number one problem with Chinese trade, which, of course, is fentanyl. We just continue to tolerate the fact that fentanyl is made by the Chinese. It's a growth market for the Chinese. And in fact, it is a huge problem, killing thousands and thousands of Americans. But do you see the Biden administration putting pressure on the Chinese who could, in fact, close down all these factories? No. You see them saying that any trade we have with you is contingent on stopping the flow of fentanyl? No. So again, the degree to which Biden must be the most pro-Chinese, the most shallow, and the most self-deceiving president this entire trip reinforced that. Now, Blinken then, of course, turned tough and said, quote, I raised U.S. concerns shared by a growing number of countries about the PRCs, that's the People's Republic of China, provocative actions in the Taiwan Strait, as well as in the South and East China Seas. On Taiwan, I reiterated the longstanding U.S. one-China policy. That policy has not changed. He goes on basically to say, we remain opposed to any unilateral changes to the status quo by either side. We continue to expect the peaceful resolution of cross-state difficulties. Now, the fact is that the Chinese communist dictatorship wavers back and forth about how to apply pressure to Taiwan. The Taiwanese actually, to their credit, are gradually moving towards more and more independence from China. And frankly, if you're the Chinese in Taiwan and you're watching what the Chinese communists did in Hong Kong, you have no interest in becoming part of that dictatorship. But you don't see a robust, clear statement. He does say, quote, we remain committed to meeting our responsibilities under the Taiwan Relations Act, including making sure that Taiwan has the ability to defend itself. But he doesn't say the United States will not accept and would decisively react to any effort by the Chinese communists to invade. They are working on a meeting between Biden and Xi, probably at the G20 meeting in November of 2022. All I can say is that the idea of Biden having a further opportunity to further cozy up to Xi Jinping and the Chinese dictatorship doesn't somehow make me feel particularly positive about all this. The Chinese communists themselves are aggressive. They take us head on. They are quite prepared to push us as far as they can push us. You can tell that. They're not going into Cuba as an act of friendship. They're not causing trouble in the Taiwan Straits as an act of friendship. They're not gradually increasing their presence in the South China Sea as an act of friendship. The fact is that you have a methodical and direct effort by the Chinese dictatorship 
to do everything it can to become the world hegemony. Xi Jinping's pretty open about it. He thinks that by 2040, China will be more powerful than the United States and more capable worldwide of applying pressure and building an alliance than the Americans will be. And frankly, this particular administration is doing everything it can to make it easier, not harder, for the Chinese to rise. I would say that we really are in a situation where we are basically faced with a new Cold War. It is a permanent competition with a very powerful country, which has a very strong totalitarian system, and that we have to recognize that they are going to do everything they can to be effective, and they're going to do everything they can to outmaneuver us. And frankly, with the Biden administration, we make it much too easy and we are much too weak. And I think that's an enormous threat to the United States. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Let me be very clear. The challenge of taking on the Chinese communist, the challenge on a worldwide basis, has to start here at home. When Claire Christensen and I wrote a book several years ago called Trump versus China, we dedicated an entire chapter entitled, You Can't Blame China. And we pointed out that when you talk about, for example, the collapse of our education system, you can't blame the Chinese. That's our problem. So we really have to have, I think, a three-pronged approach. The first is to recognize what we have to do in the United States to make the United States, once again, the most dynamic, the most entrepreneurial, the most successful country in the world. If we're growing at 3.5% a year, if we have a tremendous amount of entrepreneurship, if we have 50 or 100 Elon Musks inventing new technologies and new approaches, if we are replacing welfare with work and getting Americans back to being productive, we are dramatically better able to compete with the Chinese. But if we are determined to decay into a country in which millions cannot read, in which people are dying from drug overdoses, you're not going to be a healthy country if you are suffering from depression, drug addiction, violent crime, and a system that's incapable of coming to grips with reality. So let's start with the notion we need an entire program of getting America ready to be capable of competing with China. That's the first leg. This is a three-legged stool. And the first leg is, what do we have to do here at home in order to get America to be more dynamic than China? And that includes, by the way, policing up the Chinese. When the degree to which the Chinese have penetrated our society and the Chinese communists are on our campuses, their money floats all over the place, they are engaged in spies. They actually run police stations in the United States for the purpose of pressuring Chinese by reminding them that their families are back home and they can be punished if they say or do the wrong thing. Second, we need a complete overhaul of our national security system, both the Defense Department, the 18 intelligence agencies, our ability to operate in terms of our manufacturing base. And we have to start with a premise what would it take for the United States to be more dynamic, more adaptive, faster moving than the Chinese? And that includes in space. Now, we have some breaks because despite government bureaucracy, despite incompetence, there's a very real likelihood that in the next few months, Elon Musk will successfully test his Starship, which is the largest, most powerful rocket ever built with 36 rocket engines. And if he gets that working and reusable, which is his goal, he has in a factory that will be producing something like nine or ten a month. At that point in space, we have the potential to pull away from the Chinese in a way that they just literally won't be able to compete with. That's got to be our goal everywhere. We have to completely overhaul our shipbuilding capabilities because today we can't build effective, competent warships fast enough and at a reasonable price to compete with what is now the largest Navy in the world for the first time ever is the Chinese Navy. And it's the first time now since about 1917, that the U.S. Navy has not been the biggest Navy in the world. And yet we have no real sense of urgency, no real sense of rethinking our shipbuilding program. That has to be done. The Pentagon is way too bloated, way too wasteful. We just had a report that they miscounted the amount of aid they were sending to Ukraine by $6.2 billion, just a little accounting error that gives you a sense of the incompetence and the inefficiency of the system as it currently operates. So, the second leg of the stool is to profoundly rethink all of our major elements of national security. That includes the U.S. Agency for International Development. That includes the State Department, which is a disaster. The State Department currently 
is more concerned about spreading the word on transgender policies than it is about stopping the Chinese. That includes the Defense Department, which is so bloated and is more focused right now on being woke than on being competent militarily. So all of that's got to be fixed. The third leg of the stool is actually intellectual. We were enormously helped in 1950 when the United States issued what was called National Security Council document, NSC 68. NSC 68 was the basic document. It's available. It's in print. It's not classified anymore. It was the basic document which outlined the Cold War and which talked about how to win the Cold War. And it outlined a strategy which we followed all the way up to the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. We don't have that today. We do not have a thorough strategic understanding of the scale of the Chinese Communist challenge, of the things they're doing around the world, about what we will need to do both to contain them in terms of their own economy, to contain them in terms of their effort to infiltrate and dominate other countries, to contain them in terms of their growing military capability, including in space, and to deal with their biological capabilities. I mean, you know, one way to think about the entire disaster of the pandemic and COVID was that China invests very heavily in biological warfare. I personally don't think they deliberately released COVID. I think it was an accident. But I think the scale of danger, the level to which it shook the entire world, is a reminder that these things are dangerous between artificial intelligence, biological breakthroughs, robotics, and a variety of other things. We're in a different world, and we are not today intellectually prepared to be competitive and capable in that world. And so I think if we're serious about surviving as a free country, if we're serious about being the leading country in the world, we have to match up all three of these legs of the stool. First, we have to make sure that America itself has been modernized, has become dramatically more effective, and has a focus on competence and on the work ethic that enables us to once again be the most entrepreneurial and productive society in the world. Second, we have to profoundly overhaul all of our instruments of national security because they frankly today are too bureaucratic, too slow, too expensive, and can't possibly keep up with the Chinese communists. And third, we really need a serious period of intellectual ferment where we talk it out. We didn't leap straight from 1945 to where we were by the summer of 1950. It took five years of very smart people, people who'd been in World War I and people who went on to fight World War II. And it took them five years to think through what it would take to contain the Soviet Union. And the purpose of NSC-68 was to minimize the danger of using nuclear weapons. 1949, President Truman decided that we had to build a hydrogen bomb. And Secretary of State Dean Acheson said to him, if you think the world is so dangerous, that we have to build a weapon whose only effective use is to eliminate entire cities. Shouldn't we try to design a strategy so we never use them? And of course, it was successful. We had a half-century-long competition with the Soviet Union, and at the end of it, the Soviet Union disappeared, and we had never fought a nuclear war. You can imagine many alternative histories in which we stumbled into each other and we engaged in a horrendous civilization-ending conflict, or certainly a civilization-crippling conflict, that would have been a very, very different world. Well, we have the same challenge now. We have very aggressive Chinese behavior all over the planet. We have aggressive Chinese economic behavior, aggressive Chinese intelligence behavior, 
aggressive Chinese military outreach, an effort by the Chinese to undermine and drive out the democracies, and to create basically an alliance of the dictatorships and the authoritarian and oligarchical systems. That's why, you know, the Chinese are pretty comfortable with Cuba. They're pretty comfortable with Nicaragua or Venezuela. They're pretty comfortable with the Iranians or with Putin because they all share the same contempt for democracies. They all share the same hostility to the United States, and they all want to live in a world where their particular approach, the strong man, the dictator, the oligarch, that approach is the dominant approach. And then they can deal with each other because they recognize each other. They're all dictators. They're all thugs. They all rely on a secret police system. And the Chinese, by the way, have made enormous progress at selling their security technology and their policing technology to other dictatorships. So they become your friends. I mean, you want to make sure you have really good photographic capability to track down people in a crowd? Call the Chinese. They'll sell it to you. You want to make sure you have a computer system that can track every person in your country? Call Beijing. They've got one available right now. And they'll give it to you at a really good price with 30-year payout. We totally underestimate the depth of our competition and the intensity of our competition and their skills. And that has to change if we're going to survive as a free, prosperous, and safe country. So I think the visit to Beijing and the entire weakness and confusion of the Biden administration is a good moment for us to recognize how much we're going to have to do if America is going to survive. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael 
to the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.